The 10-week war is over. The regular season has come to a conclusion. Welcome in to Dig City, a Purdue Volleyball podcast, a special edition for episode 11 as it's tournament time. A little bracket deciding, as in Daniel Gilman alongside head coach Dave Shondell. And coach, congratulations. Purdue is dancing, most importantly, and hosting as the 16th seed. Well, thanks, Daniel. It's uh, a real satisfying feeling um, to be hosting again. It's been since 2011 that our Boilermakers have been able to play at home, and uh, I think it's it's a comforting feeling. We still have a lot of work to do. Uh, we've got uh, three good teams coming here, and uh, right now we're doing our very, very best to, to be prepared for Wright State first and then also be looking at uh, the other two teams, Dayton, and Marquette and Marquette I think was a top 10 team the last time I checked so a lot of a lot of tough things ahead and uh, we have to be prepared take me through what your uh, your brain was going through because you've been on the the cusp a few times of hosting and, and last night as we record here on a Monday afternoon last night was the first time that unexpectedly you saw your name as a host as, as all the other times it was predetermined so how did that feel when you saw Purdue kind of thrown up on there as the 16 I was surprised um, because there's been several years that I thought we were in the mix and the name didn't come up there and, and we were sent to whether it be Texas, Missouri, Utah, or Kentucky. Uh, that's where we've gone the last four years. And those have been tough outs, by the way, uh, in each of those four years for us. But um, it, it was just, I, I guess when you think you're not going to get in and you do, it, it makes it that more, much more exciting. And, you know, we know what how we play in this gym and we know what kind of crowd we will have supporting us Uh, we also know that we're going to have great competition just like we do all all throughout the Big Ten season so I think the Big Ten regular season the competition we play the venues we play in the preparation time you have uh, prepares you well for the NCAA tournament Uh, I think all the coaches in our league feel that way and now we have to just go out and, and do the job so since we last spoke on here, the two home matches, Rutgers was was lopsided and Michigan was was a strong showing on senior night. What do you think of uh, of Shavana and Blake's play? It feels like a month ago that uh, that pretty swept Michigan. Yeah, it, it does seem like it was a while ago. Um, you know, we played Michigan back to back, and the first one was here, and we we fell behind in all of those sets, but we stormed back to to win in in three. And, and that was a surprise, I thought, because Michigan at that point in time had come off successive wins over Illinois, who I have a lot of respect for, and, and they were playing well. And so that, that was certainly a, a very big win for us, a confidence booster uh, to beat a top 25-ranked team and then to go up there the following week on a Wednesday, um, win the first two, drop the next two, and then go into a 20-18 to 18 uh, slugfest with uh, a Michigan team that, quite frankly, was, it was fighting for an NCAA tournament bid. Uh, they ended up, of course, beating Indiana the following Friday and got their bid. But uh, they were playing hard, and, uh, and Michigan is, is always going to compete. That's a, a credit to the Rosens who coached their, that outfit. And, uh, and they were tough to beat, but we survived it. And, and then I'll go ahead and go to Michigan State where we went in there and and fell behind in the first set, did not play real well. It seems to happen a lot when we go to Michigan State. Maybe it's the Jenison Fieldhouse, the Magic Johnson aura, uh, Judd Heathcote uh, uh, in the rafters, you know, uh, up there. But uh, Some ghosts. Anyway, the ghost of uh, Jenison. But anyway, we uh, won the second, lost the third. Really, despite as tough as it felt, we were really never behind 
in set four or five that I can remember. I think that, you know, for the most part, we prevailed. And, uh, and that, I didn't realize at the time that that win over Michigan State was so important because had we not beaten Michigan State, we wouldn't be in the position we are today hosting uh, a first and second round match. And we'll talk about Michigan's draw in the tournament as well as the other six teams in the Big Ten that have made it to the NCAA Volleyball Division One Championship Tournament. But the two biggest takeaways for me from that road trip, the first one was the first set at Michigan. And obviously, Caitlin Newton put together an all-time service performance, seven aces. But down 24-22 in the first set, very easily could have just gone Michigan's way, but Newton served it out. There was some some steady blocking late by by Blake and then and Haley Bush yeah, as well. We were behind the whole set. I mean, we came out and we're flat and 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 we're down the entire match or in that entire set, and somehow we just stormed back. Something that this team has done before, and so. Um, as a matter of fact, we even I even told him in that first set, I said, we've done this before. We've been in this position before. You know, just go out and play. And, you know, Caitlin Newton has turned into a great server. And uh, in the last, I think, three weeks of this season has emerged as an all-Big Ten player. You know, I think she was somebody whose who's hitting percentage numbers uh, can, were confusing. But what she has done in the last three weeks has certainly solidified her case as an all-Big Ten player. Well, it helps when Purdue has three of the top four ace getters in conference play, and it it shows so much, too, because I remember looking back, and Jenna Otek led all Big Ten players her freshman year with aces in conference play. She had 27 of them. There are now six players in the Big Ten with more than 27 aces. Cleveland and Quaid are tied with 33. Caitlin has 31 along with Jenna, and then Johnny Parker has 30. So to have that, that ace threat, offensively has to help no matter who you play, especially as you come into a team like like Wright State, and we can kind of jump into the the first-round opponent. And so a good team, a great team even in, in their conference, their first at-large bid. You've done a little bit of, uh, of scouting, I'm, I'm assured, that mm-hmm. you know Wright State is a team that Purdue has a chance to to serve out of the gym. How, how kind of, what kind of advantage does that bring to know that you've got three or even four with Moe's top servers in the, in the country? Well, it, it's it's better that we have them than the opponent. That's for sure, because um, serving is a, a valuable aspect of this game, and it's something that we really haven't had for several years. You know, you mentioned OTEC a couple of years ago, but we didn't have a lot backing her up. And as you mentioned, to have three that are putting that kind of pace on the ball and consistency is important too. They they don't make many errors. And uh, they're not the kind of players that go back and, and struggle, you know, getting the ball where it needs to be. They've got great control. And as you mentioned, Horning and Bush are also, you know, pretty good servers. And then our fifth server is getting better. Blake Muller is in the gym all the time working on her serve. And if, if we don't go with Blake, we go with somebody like Emma Terwilliger, who is a really good server and great defensive player. So uh, I, I like where we are with the serving game. And um, I'm convinced that that will – hold up throughout uh, however many matches we play down the stretch. A team from Dayton coming to town in Wright State, and then Dayton on the other side of things playing first against Marquette. Marquette, a team that right now in RPI sits at 12th. And so how does the approach from the coaching staff, and then how do you want the approach from the players to be in a situation like this where you can't really look ahead, but then looking back at last season, it might not have felt like, you know, Kentucky facing them in the second round, maybe focused on them, but at the same time, 
how much time do the players really have to really look at, at, at the next well, team? You, you can't look ahead. At any, there's not a coach in the country that's talking about a second-round opponent today. There, there's just no way. Um, I'd like to talk to the guy that is and, and get, get some feedback from him. But uh, you, have to, you have to play the first match. You have to have a staff working behind the scenes, um, getting ready for you know whoever might be next. And then you have to be really good at preparing your team to play. Um, that that next match, and it, it really comes down to how good is your team. You know, you it, it can't come down to all about preparation. It has to be: is your team going to be better than that team? Are they going to come out and be mentally engaged? Are they going to compete? Are they going to play well together? Is there going to be the cohesion and the confidence? Are you going to be skilled uh, in the in the things that it's going to take to beat whoever a second round opponent might be if you get there? And uh, but right now, our focus is one hundred percent on Wright State because what I have seen of them has been very impressive. One last takeaway from that Michigan match too, and and I don't think there's a coincidence, Coach, that the fifth set was the same score as that come-from-behind win at Penn State last year because those fifth sets, probably the two best matches that I've seen over the two years that I've been here, and then facing off two match points against Penn State, facing off three or four at Michigan, walk me through the grit that it takes to really, on the road, face a match point and yeah. go to go to the back row too with Caitlin multiple times. Yeah, I, I I can't really tell you as much about it as what somebody like Caitlin Newton might be able to give you firsthand experience, but um, you know I felt like Caitlin Newton was a special individual for a long time, and it's so much fun and so rewarding to see a player that was not recruited by much of the Big Ten. I think Indiana made an offer to her. Nebraska knew who she was, but that that was about the extent. And uh, but we felt like she was special beyond circumstance. And uh, man, is she playing well right now? I mean, she is um, she is one of the best players in the Big Ten right now. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And hits we always knew she hit the ball hard. And now we've got her playing all six rotations, and she she loves to hit the ball in the back row. Actually, swings with more velocity out of the back row than she might sometimes in the front row. And we just need to continue to her to to go outside of her comfort zone. She's somebody that sometimes crawls back into where she feels good, and but that's when she starts to struggle. So the more she plays fearless and courageous, and walks a little bit more on the wild side, she's she's going to be better. And so we got to continue her to expand her shots and and not just go with what, what you know what she's fallen in love with. Taking a look now at this upcoming weekend, the first rounds, Marquette plays Dayton at four thirty, and then Purdue faces Wright State at seven o'clock. Wright State out of the horizon, one of two teams to make the tournament. They lost to Northern Kentucky, a four over one upset in the semifinals that Wright State was able to host for the first time in their program history. Is there any advantage to playing the second match from a coaching staff and watching that first one to know that if your team does advance, you know who you're going to play right away? I, I don't think so. I, I, you know, I've been on both sides of that uh, throughout uh, my time here at Purdue. Um, the, the advantage of playing first and winning is that you know that you're going to your scouting is going to come to fruition because you're going to play. If you're if you're the second one, you know you feel like you got a, a pretty good chance to win, but uh, you don't know for sure. Um, and so you're still thinking about your match, trying to watch two other teams, and it makes it makes it a little more, I guess, complicated. But uh, 
if you're hosting, you're you know you're going to play the 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 primetime match, which is what we'll be doing at 7 p.m. and uh, it allows us to take our mind a little bit off things to watch somebody else first. But like I say, most of our scouting is going to take place in front of a, a computer screen, okay, or a big screen in our video room, and not what we see live. Uh, we'll we'll have a lot of information on them, and then when we watch that match live and follow up with that, then afterwards will be a lot of just verifying the things that we saw in the six or seven matches we would have seen before they played. And then just on some loose overview, looking at, at Wright State, last question here about this upcoming weekend for, for your team, where do you think Jetta Story, one of the best liberos in the nation, kind of sits among some of the top liberos that you've seen in the Big Ten and how the team can be prepared facing a, a tough libero like that? Now, you know, I'm not. I'm not in a position to answer that at this point. I have not um, evaluated the libero uh, position uh, very much so far. I've been l- looking a lot at their at their offensive players. My job is defense, uh, preparing my team to play defense against Wright State. I know she's she's a a, a, a good competitive kid. She comes out of a, a volleyball hotbed that produces tough competitors, and uh, so they've got a good one in her. Um, but uh, I I don't feel like I can answer that question very well. Yep, it'll be a fun libero competition with two uh, club teammates with Story and Hornung. So now we'll head into a fifth set with Shondell, where we'll kind of look broader at this tournament for anyone that has not done a deep dive into this into this bracket. The, the Wisconsin Badgers grabbed the four seed over Pittsburgh, and then Nebraska took the five seed over Pitt. So first of all, Coach, as a voter but not a committee member, obviously. No, what was no. your opinion of the top four as Baylor snagged the one? Texas took the two, so two big 12 teams off the bat. Stanford, the defending champs who played most of the season or half the season without Catherine Plummer, their star player. They're the three seed. She's back healthy. And then the Badgers, they took the outright Big Ten championship. Yeah, I think, four. I think they got the four best teams. Um, Wisconsin is an ominous squad at this point. They've got everything that you need. They've got experience. They've got the go-to player uh, in Recce. They've got one of the best setters in America. They've got two outside hitters that are playing at an extremely high level. Duello is kind of the X factor, in my opinion, a senior that is gets the ball a lot off their team. They've got uh, a tremendous libero. Uh, they've got a, a, a defensive specialist that would could be playing libero at probably eight or nine of the Big Ten uh, programs in the country. They're, they're well coached. They're going to be well prepared. Um, and their tournament – you know, ready. Uh, so I think that Wisconsin is more than worthy of being in that top four. And, uh, you know, Nebraska's history in NCAA tournament play is hard to argue with. Uh, Pittsburgh is, is a team that early in the season, they made some noise with a win over Penn State at Penn State, but then Penn State came back and beat them at Pitt. And then when you look at the rest of the schedule, I think Pitt may have gotten a win over a, a young Ohio State team in the, the third week of the season. But uh, they went to the ACC, and this was not a strong ACC um, year. They just they just weren't that good in the ACC, and so all those RPI matches that they're playing in the ACC uh, just don't mean a whole lot, uh, in my opinion. So um, I think that's what that's what kind of hurt hurt Pitt a little bit. But they're going to play their first two at home, and um, probably will be on the road for uh, uh, their. They won't be hosting the regional unless somebody gets upset. Yeah, they could be paired, paired up with Penn State, a team that I think a lot of people thought got undervalued at 11, but they'll have a chance to uh, get that rubber match against Pittsburgh. If they do meet up, 
in the Sweet 16, the 11 versus 6 battle in the top right corner, the only two Big Ten teams in that area of the bracket. Nebraska with the 5 seed. He'll face off against uh, a familiar foe. The only team that both Wright State and Purdue both beat this season in Ball State, and so that'll be a fun first-round matchup between Nebraska and Ball State. Going over to the other side, Minnesota gets the 7 seed. They're a team as well, Coach, that uh, I think a lot of people think can can give Texas a run for their money in what would be a rematch oh, yeah. in the Elite Eight of, of what was one of the best matches in the pre-conference play, it was a sweep, but I think Minnesota had 11 set points in those three sets against Minnesota. And, it, and it was played in Gregory Gym uh, as well. And I think Texas has been reborn um, with uh, the return of uh, Miller, their, their setter. Um, I think that they're feeling pretty good. Uh, they went out and beat Penn State uh, at Penn State just on Saturday night. And uh, it's been a struggle for Hugh because he's had some injuries. We all have, everybody has injuries. But when your starting setter is out for three-fourths of the season um, and then you get, get her back and then you start to play really well, um, it, it adds a lot of fuel to the fire. So uh, Minnesota is going to be very dangerous in, in this tournament, as will Penn State. Uh, Penn State is, is playing at a very high level. They knocked off Wisconsin before losing to Minnesota. I, th- I thought they would probably split that last weekend. It was an awful lot to ask to beat Wisconsin and Minnesota back-to-back, but they did get Wisconsin on on, uh, Friday. Uh, I think Penn State's going to be also uh, very dangerous. Nebraska has not been, I think, playing at at the same level as some of those teams have been, but they're a tournament team. John Cook has his team ready to play in NCAA tournament play, and I'm sure he will again this year. I was glad to see Chris Thomas's Illini team uh, was in that last four group to get in, and I, I think that uh, they're playing Utah in the first round out at BYU. I think that will be a real Jim Dandy of a battle uh, between those two. And uh, if Michigan has their arms live, uh, they got a chance to, to, to give Kentucky some real problems as well if they get to that uh, second-round matchup. Yep, Minnesota went back to the 5-1 in the win over Penn State with Kylie Miller, the UCLA transfer, back in the lineup. I'll correct myself there. Illinois is in the same corner of the bracket with Penn State up in the top right, and so there's a chance that Illinois plays Stanford in the Sweet 16. Going to the bottom left once again, it could be you know a fantastic battle in the in the Elite Eight if everything goes chalk coach between Nebraska and Wisconsin, the five versus four. It always seems like the committee piles up two of the uh, the best Big Ten teams. Last year we saw a very similar situation with Wisconsin and Illinois playing in the Elite Eight, and then possibly that Minnesota Nebraska battle in the bottom right last year, but Minnesota upset by Oregon. I'm I'm very excited for some of these potential. Obviously, things don't always go chalk, but I think that one could be a, an all-time Big Ten battle between four versus five. Well, it's really hard for the committee to not end up with a couple of conference teams playing each other, uh, you know, in a regional final, uh, which is what you're talking about there with Nebraska and Wisconsin. And, and I think anything could happen in that in that match just because uh, Nebraska knows the way to the Final Four. Uh, but I think Wisconsin has a little more firepower. Uh, but that, if they get there, there's a lot of work to do before that happens. But if they do advance, I think Nebraska's got a good schedule. I like. I mean, if I'm Nebraska, I'm feeling pretty good about where I am. If I'm Wisconsin, I, I know I've got UCLA uh, or Notre Dame in a second-round matchup. And um, beyond that, I think that, 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 that they're going to be in pretty good shape. I think there's a good chance those two teams will meet in the regional final. You mentioned Illinois. That's that's a fun little potential storyline. If Utah were to top Illinois and BYU beats New Mexico State, those two 
battle for uh usually they call it the holy war in, in football i'm not sure if they have a rivalry name in volleyball but they would battle up in byu in the second round and then the last sub-regional for us to talk about among Big Ten teams right next door to Purdue's as Michigan will play Northern Kentucky, that team that surprised everyone as the four seed to win the Horizon League tournament title, and then they'd go and either face Kentucky or SEMO, and so if Kentucky were to advance, that's the only chance Purdue were to see a Big Ten team before the Final Four, and I think with all things considered, you'd rather face a non-Big Ten team, correct, than, than a Big Ten team along the way? I, I I wouldn't necessarily say that in any situation. I would I, you know, I, we just have to play our best volleyball. We can't, you know, we don't have any choice in who we're going to play. So if it's a Big Ten team or a non-conference team, it's all fine. We we just have to have our team ready to go and and be prepared. And um, but I I don't know if Michigan will will have enough to beat Kentucky at Kentucky. I, I think they've played matches this year that were were good enough to do that. Uh, and I, I think that will be a good match. Uh, I really like the Michigan team. And uh, I know they had a kid out with Mono uh, the last time we played them. And how long that lasts, I don't know. I have to check with uh, Doc Rowden to find out exactly <laughs> what that might mean. But uh, anyway, I, I just think it's, it's a good draw for us. And my focus has been 99% on the route that we have to go. Uh, I wish everybody in the Big Ten the best of luck, but I wish all, all teams the best of luck. I wish Ball State uh, has a good experience up in, in, in Nebraska, um, but I, I, I think that that's going to be a really tough, tough uh, effort for Ball State to go up to Lincoln and beat Nebraska. Wrapping up this episode of the podcast, it's the fifth straight year with seven or more Big Ten teams, 16 consecutive seasons entering this year that the Big Ten has had a national semifinalist. So all eyes will be on the nation's premier conference. If you're curious, Purdue, Wright State, Dayton, and Marquette in the region of Baylor, who plays Friday against Sacred Heart at 8 p.m., the winner of Baylor Sacred Heart would face against USC and Stephen F. Austin, two extremely talented teams. That's at 6 o'clock Friday, and then that uh, second round match would be at 9 o'clock Eastern time. So plenty of time to watch Purdue if they do advance on Saturday night, and then the Baylor Sacred Heart, Stephen F. Austin, Southern Cal second round match, 9 o'clock on Friday. I believe most of the matches are on ESPN3 every once in a while, some of the... Uh, the West Coast areas will have their own Fox Sports or other broadcasts, but most of them will be able to be watched on the Watch ESPN app. Wrapping up for just a, a few of the uh, the non-conference teams that Purdue faced that made the tournament. More this season than last season, as last year Purdue's lone non-conference opponent to make the NCAA tournament was Louisville. This year Louisville made it, along with Notre Dame. Louisville is playing in the Western Kentucky Western hosting for the first time as a 15 seed as Louisville faces Samford to take on the winner of Western Kentucky and Kennesaw State. Western Kentucky, of course, the alumni of the grad manager, Jessica Lucas. So it's 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 alma fun mater. to see. Your alma mater. Alma mater, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. So it's, it's always fun to see teams hosting for the first time. Yeah, and, and Western Kentucky will do a great job. Travis Hudson, one of the finest uh, and best coaches in, in the in the country, but I think we had four teams, as you mentioned, that that uh, made the tournament: Ball State, Louisville, Notre Dame, and Kentucky. And uh, so it, it was a good non-conference schedule. I think at the end, end of the year, uh, our non-conference or our our strength of schedule was right around 20, 20 or twenty-one. So uh, you know uh, we did our work, and uh, we're happy to be be where we are. 
and Notre Dame plays in Madison. They'll face UCLA Friday afternoon at 5.30, take on the winner of Wisconsin and Illinois State. That'll wrap up this episode, Coach. Thanks for joining me. We will... uh, We could possibly be back in a few weeks if Purdue's still chugging along, and so we'll have another episode then before a potential Final Four appearance, which would be a a lot of fun for all the fans involved. Always looking forward to it. Thanks, Daniel. That'll wrap up this episode, a special tournament preview of Dig City, a Purdue volleyball podcast. Talk to you again soon. The match will take place Friday, 7 o'clock, 6.50 Eastern time for the pre-match show on 104.3 FM, The Patriot, and PurdueSports.com. 